Now, today we are in uh, the beginning of our video series with Pastor Craig Groeschel, and each summer we do one video series to expose us to some of the great preachers who are out there in our country and in our world. And uh, if you don't know who Pastor Craig Groeschel is, he is the lead pastor of LifeChurch.tv, and they have 17 different campuses around the country where they beam in the message each week from one central place to about 30,000 people in attendance at all of those campuses. And what we are doing in this video series is he's going through his book, Alter Ego, and it is Becoming Who God Says You Are. And it's been a great series. We kicked it off last week. And uh, if you missed last week, it was about uh, pretty much for us to lay down our inadequacies to God and just bring them to the altar and say, God, you know what? I see myself as so low as, you know, maybe not uh, the way that you see me. And God, I want to see the way that you uh, see me. And what we discovered last week is that God sees great things in us. And so uh, what we're going to be doing is continuing to listen to that message series. Um, if you missed out on last week, uh, please stop by our Connection Center, and we've got the Spiritual Growth Challenge, and on there tells you exactly where you can watch the video series, or you can listen to the audio on our podcast as well. And then also at the Connection Center, we thought it would be a great idea to supply some of the books. And so if you'd like a book, it's only $10. We're not making anything off the book. But if you want to go deeper into the message, we thought we'd supply those. I think we've got about 30 left. So if you'd like one of those books, just stop by the Connection Center after the service and you can get one of those books. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do you engage a video series? Um, well, let me give you three suggestions. One of the ways is just imagine that Craig is here. So you're going to see his big face up there on the screens, and it's going to be real easy. Uh, but just interact with him as if he were here. So if he asks you to say something, go ahead and feel free to say that thing right back to him. He's also really hilarious. So if he makes a joke, go ahead and feel free to laugh at his jokes because I'm laughing back there. Anyways. Um, and second thing to do is just right before he begins to speak, just ask God, God, what's the one thing that you want to say to me? What's the one thing that you want me to hear? And take that and apply it into your life this week. And then lastly, be sure to get that spiritual growth challenge because it takes you deeper into the message. It's on there that there are several different passages that he uses and some other passages that are related. There's questions and other things for you to be able to apply to your life. Now, all we want you to do is just sit back, enjoy the rest of the service, and then right at the end, before he prays, I'm going to come out and just wrap us up and then close us out in a word of prayer. So go ahead and enjoy the rest of the service. Hey, welcome today to all of our different churches, all of our network churches, those of you from countries all over the world at Church Online. We're in the second week of a four-week series called Alter Ego. Uh, this is based on my brand new book called Alter Ego, Becoming Who God Says You Are. Uh, if you're at a Life Church location, these are available today uh, for half off the cover price. And if you pick one up, I hope that it really ministers to you or whomever you decide to give it to. Let's talk about it. Alter, if you'll notice, Alter is spelled A-L-T-A-R. Uh, this is an altar. If you know anything about church history, you know um, all the way back into the Old Testament, an altar was a place where people would lay something down before God. It's a place where we would make a sacrifice to God. And ego is who we think we are. It's 
what we think about ourselves. And unfortunately, so many of us, we have an inaccurate view of ourselves. We think too highly of ourselves, or we think too lowly of ourselves, and we don't really know who we're supposed to be. So in this message series, what we're gonna try to do is sacrifice who we think we are so we can become who God says we are. We're gonna lay down different characteristics of our ego on the altar of God so we can become who God says we are. And I wanna show you where we're going in this series, where we've been and where we're going, if you're taking notes. Last week, by faith, we decided to lay down our feelings of inadequacy. And we saw that God sees more in us than we think. God has given us more than we think, and it's less about us than we think. Today what we're gonna do is we're gonna lay down our need for control. Next week is my personal favorite of the four weeks. We're gonna lay down our right to be offended. We live in a culture where people are looking for reasons to be offended, and we're gonna see um, why that mindset actually offends the heart of God, and I believe God will speak to many of you in a really significant way as he has to me. And in the fourth week, will probably be the most broadly helpful as we're gonna lay down our longing for approval because we know the quickest way to forget what God thinks about us is to become obsessed with what people think about us, and that's where so many of us are living. Let's dive in today, and by faith, we're gonna to try to lay down our need for control. I'd like to ask all of you at all of our different churches, you guys in Stillwater, Oklahoma, play along with me, you all in Fort Worth, Texas, all of our network churches, how many of you in some area of your life, you really like to be in control? Raise your hands up right now, raise them up high. If you find yourself trying to raise the hand of the person sitting next to you, you need to take really good notes because this message is specifically for you. It's really interesting to me how almost everybody I know, we try to control some area of our lives. And there are some pockets that we're really control freaks in those areas, but then there are other areas where we really aren't at all. For example, some of you, you may be really controlling at work. Everything's gotta be just the way you want it, but at home, you're rather laid back. Then you may be sitting next to someone and they're the exact opposite. At home, man, it's, I mean, do it this way or die, you know, but at work, they're rather relaxed. Uh, it could be some of you, you're very controlling about your finances. You need to know where every single penny goes, but when it comes to your children, you just kind of let them run off and don't even try to really influence them much at all. You're controlling in some areas and not in others. Um, in our family, uh, Amy, she's rather laid back when it comes to what I would consider major life direction decisions. She just trusts God, trust me, trust that we'll make the right decision, and she doesn't get uptight at all. But when it comes to her kitchen, oh dear Jesus, okay, She's got more laws than the Pharisees did. They had 613. I mean, she's got laws for every 
portion of the kitchen. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. There's like, you can't turn the water pressure on past a certain amount for a certain amount of time. And I mean, she's into it, okay? Me, I don't care about the kitchen. Whatever you say goes. But when it comes to the remote control, there is only one person in our house ordained by God to handle this very important piece of spiritual machinery, and that is yours truly, the divine remote controller of the universe. Because every man knows it's not so much about what's on as what else might be on. And so we can sincerely watch 12 to 14 different shows at one time. It is a God-given gift to those who are chosen, you know? And so it's interesting how we really do get riled up about some things and then in other areas we don't. And if we look at our lives, we'll find that we typically will try to control two broad categories of things. Most of us, we try to control people or we try to control circumstances. We try to control people. There may be someone in your life where there's one or two things about them that you just don't like. Uh, There's the saying that God loves people and has a wonderful plan for their lives. In this area, you're like God. You love people and have a wonderful plan for their lives. You wanna help them see what you see and get them to do what you want them to do. And so you will manipulate, you will bribe, you will offer rewards, or you will withhold rewards. You'll use passive aggressive behavior. You might even threaten without even knowing it. So often we will try to manipulate the behavior of others because we really believe we know what's best and we wanna control those around us. It may be your coworkers, it may be those who work for you, it may be your children, it may be your spouse, but we wanna be in control. We also will try to control the circumstances, okay? We wanna look just right. We want our houses to be just perfect. We want our kids, when they go out in public, to be the perfect representation of us in every single way. We wanna control our schedules and the future and the schedules of the people that we love. We wanna control what other people think of us. We wanna control people and we wanna control circumstances. And why do we want to be in control? Because our ego is out of control because we really believe that we know what's best, that in your life we're godlike, in our circumstances we're godlike, because we so know what is the right thing to do that it is our right to enforce what we know should happen. In fact, Ken Blanchard, he says that ego, E-G-O, spells edging God out, edging God out. I so know what is right that I'm going to force it and not trust God. I'm gonna edge God out. In fact, for those of you that are control freaks, you have a theme verse, this Proverbs 3, um, verses five and six, and I've given it to you from the CFV translation, and this is how your theme verse goes. It says, trust in the Lord with what? All of our different churches, you all in Owasso, help me out. Trust in the Lord with 
some of your heart and lean on your own what? The, the, this version says, lean on your own understanding. In how many of your ways? Everybody say it aloud. Wellington, Florida, come on, give me some love. In what? In some of your ways, acknowledge God and what's gonna happen and you will make your path straight. The CFV, the control freak version. <laughs> now, some of you, you may not have been around the church or the Bible and you hear that and you go, yeah, sounds reasonable. Yeah, sounds like a good plan for me. But I need to tell you honestly, that's not what the, the real um, translation says. The real translation tells us that we should trust in God with how much of our heart? With, with all of it. And we should never lean on our own understanding because we don't know that much, but in all of our ways, we should acknowledge him and not us, but he will make our paths straight. What's really interesting is the more that we try to control something, the more we fear losing control. And the more we fear losing control, the more we try to keep control, and suddenly we spiral into a cycle of fear. Many of you right now, you're thinking, mm, I hope old so-and-so's listening, because they really need to hear this, okay? The challenge is control is very difficult to see in the mirror. It's very hard for us to see our own need for control in the mirror because we legitimately think that we know what is best. We're edging God out and we don't even know it. So what I wanna do today is um, give you an example of control gone bad and then we're gonna ask three questions that honestly can be application questions that you take with you to apply to this area for the rest of your lives. Uh, let me show you a story from the Old Testament about a couple uh, originally named Abram and Sarai, their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah, who had a tremendous problem like most of us with wanting to control the outcome of certain situations. Uh, you can read one story early on in their lives when um, Abram was worried about Sarai's safety, uh, thinking that some men might do something inappropriate to her. And so rather than trusting her to God, he took control and he lied about who she was and said, hey, she's really my sister. And he took control as they often did. The biggest example though is when God said um, to them, I'm going to bless you and you're gonna be the parents of many nations. You're gonna have so many descendants, it's gonna be more than the, than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. And God promised this childless couple who for years they were unable to conceive, God says you're gonna give birth and there's gonna be many nations born from you. Incredible promise. But when God didn't immediately do what God promised to do, over time, Abraham and Sarah did what so many of us do. They tried to take control of their own destiny and they stepped over God's promise. We see this in Genesis 16 verses one through four. The Bible says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Everybody say Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps what, everybody read this aloud. Perhaps 
I can build a family through her. In other words, I know God promised, but he's not doing it in my timing. Therefore, I am going to take control because I know what's best. I'm going to edge God out and I'm gonna take control. There are two things to remember from this story and two things to never forget. Thing number one, whatever you do, never ever, ever, ever sleep with a woman named Hagar, right? And number two, don't ever forget rule number one, okay? <laughs> Abram broke both those rules, and this is what the story says. The text goes on. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So, verse three, after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took uh, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. He slept with Hagar, she conceived. When they edged God out, um, it's impossible to describe all the chaos what taking control did, not just in their lives, but for centuries and centuries to come. In fact, if you read on in the story, um, Hagar gave birth to a son named Ishmael, and sometime later, God did bless Abraham and Sarah with a son named Isaac. And there was more tension than you can imagine between Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac. And here we are centuries later, and the descendants of Ishmael, the Palestine, uh, Palestinians, are um, still often at war with the descendants of Isaac, the Jews. And there's entire wars, and you've got, the, you've got Muhammad um, from the lineage of Ishmael, and then you've got Isaac and the Christians. And here you see all this world chaos, and it all traces back to when a couple decided to take control and to edge God out. Now, chances are all of you are sitting there going, okay, I understand that, but I'm never gonna sleep with my maidservant called Hagar. Don't even have a maidservant. But what you are gonna do is you may be a single girl and the clock is ticking and you love Jesus and want a Christian man, but since there is no Christian man around, you settle for a man. And you just say, hey, he's good enough for now. I'll try to make this work. And you force something, you manipulate it, you compromise and you settle for something that's less than God's best because you're gonna take control and you're gonna edge God out or it may be financially, uh, you're a strong follower of Jesus, and you know that, that the tithe belongs to God, but you rationalize, you compromise, you take control, and you say, well, we'll do that later once we're out of, of debt, or we just, we're not gonna do that at all, and you take control of something that really belongs to God, and you edge God out, or maybe you want something and you want it bad, but you can't afford it. So what do you do? You edge God out and you manipulate it. You find some way to borrow and you make a very bad long-term decision for a short-term benefit because you're gonna edge God out and you're gonna make it happen one way or the other. Here's the big application question I wanna ask you and I want all of you to participate. Really, really important. I want you to ask yourself and be very, very honest and write something down on your notes, confess it to your life group, uh, talk about it with those you love, and here's the question, what are you trying to control? What are you trying to control? What is it that you're trying to control? Is it people, you know, your children? Uh, maybe it's your grown children. 
Maybe it's the way your grown children raise your grandchildren because they're not doing it right, okay? Uh, maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's your image. Maybe it's what people think about you. I want you to go ahead and take a moment and write down, what am I trying to control? Or you can sit back and say, I'm not doing this stupid exercise. This is stupid. I'm not going to do stupid. I'm not writing anything down. I don't even like this. I'm not going to do it. Okay, very good. You stay in control and prove my point, okay? What are you trying to control? And when you identify this in your life, I want to give you three questions that you can ask over and over and over again that I really believe can help you learn to lay down what you're trying to control and trust it to God. The first question we're gonna ask is this, is it worth my concern? All of our churches ask that aloud. Is it worth my concern? I need you to do it, all of our churches. Come on, you at Edmund, do it aloud. Is it worth my concern? In fact, one time whenever Jesus was visiting the house of Mary and Martha, Martha was trying to control something that didn't matter that much. She wanted everything perfect. And she's freaking out saying, Jesus, get Mary to help me out. She's lazy, she's not doing anything. And all I want the house to be just perfect because you're here, Jesus. And Jesus looks on and says to Martha in Luke 10, verse 41 and 42, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This isn't worth getting upset about. Is it worth my concern? So many of us, because of our inflated egos, we're trying to control things that don't matter that much. That a month from now, it's not gonna matter a lick. So I would ask you, does it really, really matter if someone doesn't fold the towels just right? No. I just set someone's future free. I can feel it. I can feel it in the spirit right now. Does it really matter if your grade school son goes off to school and his hair is not combed perfectly? Will that alter his chance to get into Harvard one day? Will it send him to hell or to jail or both? Now, does it really, really matter? Does it really matter, guys, if your wife comes back and leaves trash in your perfect car? Some of you go, well, Pastor Greg, that does matter. No, 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 no. Does it really, really matter? Get your panties out of your you know, loosen up is not that big of a deal. Is it worth my concern? Everybody ask that question. Come on, one, two, three. Is it worth my concern? For example, out of my own life, um, I've always wanted to have a nice yard. Always wanted to have a nice yard. But I never understood like when to fertilize, when to put down seed, how much to water. And so I just never had a nice yard. Well, a uh, really cool guy from our church is helping me with my yard. And so he's puts down seed at a certain time and says water this much and here's the right kind of fertilizer and here, and it's the most amazing thing. It's like, there's actually green grass with no weeds and it's incredible. And for the first time in my life, I drive up and I have this nice yard. Well, the problem is I've got two sons that love to play soccer. And the only place in our very tree-ish yard that they can play is right in my very front most beautiful part of the yard. 
And so right there in my dream come true yard, there is the biggest, ugliest dead spot you have ever seen. Pristine Garden of Eden beauty with this dead spot from where my two sons play soccer. Well, I'm just beside myself. Love my kids, but by golly, I want a nice yard, okay? Finally, it dawned on me, and I mean like deeply dawned on me, that I need to embrace the dead spot with everything in me. Embrace it, love it, fall in love with it, thank God for it. Because one day, I'm gonna have grass in that spot, and I'm gonna have a beautiful yard, and no boys in my front yard playing soccer. Embrace the dead spot. Is it really worth my concern to have grass there when I've got the greatest blessing, two kids playing together every single day? Is, is it really worth getting upset about? Is it worth my concern? Ask yourself, when you're trying to control something, ask yourself, is it worth my concern? Second question we're gonna ask is, is it mine to control? Everybody ask it aloud, all of our different churches, come on. You guys in, uh, in Albany, New York, say it aloud. Is it mine to control? And the answer is sometimes yes. It's yours to control. There's something for you to do about it. There are other times the answer is no. Because surrendering control is not the same thing as relinquishing responsibility. Those are different things. You should still be responsible when you can. For example, if you are messed up financially, you should still cut back on your spending. Can you do something about it? Absolutely you can. You can learn to budget, you can get a mentor, you can cut up your credit cards, you can do something about it. If your marriage is messed up, can you do something about it? Absolutely. You can pray together, you can join a life group and have others speak into your marriage. You can initiate counseling. You can start doing a version reading plan together. You can have date nights together. You can do something about it. If you're a guy and you haven't been on a date in seven years, do you just trust God with it? Well, yes, but also do something about it. Get involved in church, go somewhere. Take a bath for God's sake, brush your teeth, put on some deodorant, sell your Xbox, get out of your house, have a lie, smile at girls, ask them out. Can you do something about it? Yes, you can do something about it. But there are some things that you just cannot control. And you ask yourself, is it mine to control? Is it mine? And there are some things you're gonna have to say, no, not at all. These things are not for me to control. In fact, James chapter four, verse 13 and 14 shows very clearly, there are some things in which we have no control over whatsoever. James says to us control freaks, now listen you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He says, you think you can iron everything out, you can plan it all out, you just know exactly what's gonna happen. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even control tomorrow. How do you think you can control even a year from now? So you ask myself, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? Is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? Or if you're taking notes, is it for God alone? Is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? Or is it for God alone? Ask those questions over and over and over again. Is it worth my concern? Hey, embrace the dead spot, get over it. Is it mine to control? If I can do something about it, I will. Or is it for God 
alone. In fact, Paul told the Philippians something very powerful in chapter four, verse six and seven. He said, don't be anxious about what? All of our churches say it aloud. Don't be anxious about anything. How many of you are anxious about something? When are you anxious? When you're trying to control something that is not yours to control. Don't be anxious about anything, but in what, he says, but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. What do you do? Everybody say it aloud. What do you do? You present your request to God. You give it to God. You trust it to God. You lay down your concern to God. You surrender it to God. And when you do with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, you give it to God. What does scripture say will happen? Scripture says, and the what? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this, when you give it to God, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you try to control something you can't control, you're anxious. But when you give it to God, you have peace. So many of us, because of our ego, we're trying to control it and we're stressed and worried and anxious and consumed with fear, because we're trying to control something that's really for God alone. When you surrender it to God, he gives you peace. So here's some application questions I wanna ask you, and you say aloud yes or no. Can you change your spouse? Okay, some of you, this is not a trick question. No, you can't be like, well, I think I can. No, you can't, okay? No, you can't. You can love your spouse, you can pray for your spouse, you can encourage your spouse but you can't change your spouse. So what do you do if your spouse needs changing? You love them, pray for them, and you trust them to God. You stop trying to control and you trust them to God. Can you heal your loved one that is sick? Can you do that? No, can God do that? Yes, so what can you do? You can pray for them, you can encourage them, you can help them get good medical advice, and then ultimately what do you do? You trust them to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can you control your future or the future of your children or the future of anyone that you love? Can you control the future? No. What, what can you do? You can pray, you can plan, you can give wise counsel, you can make wise decisions. Does God control the future of those you love? The answer is yes, and so what do you do? You give it to God. I want you to think for a minute about um, Abraham. What did he want more than anything else? A son. What did God give him? A son. What did God ask him to sacrifice? His son. For those of you that maybe didn't grow up in the church world or know this story, most amazing thing, God promises him a son and then asks him to lay down the life of his son. It's crazy, it's mind-boggling. It's a, it's a story that makes me nauseous to think about. And so this father, who for years and years prayed for a son, tells his son, we're gonna go up to the top of Mount Moriah and we're gonna make a sacrifice. And the son carries the, the wood and, and they're walking up and maybe holding hands and, and the son looks up and says, Daddy, um, where's the animal for the sacrifice? And Abram looks at his son that he loves more than anything in the world and says, the Lord will provide. 
the Lord will provide. And the guy who wanted to control everything walks up to the top. builds an altar and takes his son and puts him on the altar. Raises a knife to sacrifice his son and an angel says, don't lay a hand on him. I see you trust God. And Abraham looks over in the bushes and there's a ram right by the spot of the sacrifice. And scripture says in verse 13 of Genesis 22, Abram went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. When Abraham finally surrendered control, of that which he wanted most. He saw the miraculous provision of God. When he stopped edging God out, but instead started exalting God only, he surrendered what he valued most, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding guarded his heart and his mind because the Lord provided. I came to tell somebody today, you're trying to control something that's not yours to control. And when you try to control what's not yours to control, you will be filled with anxiety. But when you take what belongs to God only and you lay it down on his altar, you will know God as Jehovah Jireh, which means he is our provider, that he will provide every thing you need because we are not God and we shouldn't edge him out but we lay down even what we think we want so God can ultimately give us what we need I will not be in control I trust God with those things that belong to him and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus yeah Wasn't that good? Isn't it amazing how we uh, try to take control of something or someone? And if God has spoken to you today, in a moment, I'm going to close this out in a word of prayer. I just want to really encourage you during that prayer, um, you just take time to pray to God yourself. And just like Craig said, just lay down that thing that you've been trying to control and just say, God, I've been trying to control this, and I just want to give this over to you. And you're in control, and I'm going to trust you. And like Craig said, uh, it's amazing how God's peace will come over us. Will we still battle that thing? Yeah. How many times might we have to lay that thing down on the altar? Maybe multiple times until we finally come to trust God. And uh, before we take off as well, before I close this out in a word of prayer, remember we've got the spiritual growth challenge in the book as well uh, to take you deeper into this subject. If this is something that you're really wrestling with, uh, just two great resources for you to be able to dive deeper in today's message. So let's go ahead and pray and uh, close out for today. So Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are so concerned to bring us freedom in our lives, God, that you don't want these things to control us. It's amazing how often that we try to control things, we try to control circumstances, and we try to control people. And Father, what we're ultimately doing is not trusting you. 
And so, Father, I just pray for everyone here today that they will experience your freedom, that they would surrender that thing that they are trying to control. And so, Father, would we just place that at your feet, at at the altar, and really let go? Because we can't do anything. And when we try, we often hurt ourselves or we hurt those who are around us. And so, Father, your ways are best, and we acknowledge that. And we thank you, God, for taking care of us in so many different ways. And so just be with all of us, and may we experience your peace and your freedom as we learn to trust you. And so thank you for just today. Thank you for pastors like Craig. And uh, Lord, just thank you for what you're going to do through our team this week as they go down to Guatemala, the freedom that they will bring to people as they experience you, your love, and as they share your message about your son with so many. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here and have a great week.